You are listening to the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki, two high school head coaches looking to help others spread their passion for the game of basketball. Tune in for episodes about anything basketball related, on the court, off the court, and anything in between. We at the After the Timeout podcast would like to take a full timeout to talk about V-Reps basketball. Coaches, do you get frustrated by how some players just cannot seem to learn your offensive system? Are you spending countless hours teaching your offensive system to your team just for them to forget by the next practice? You should check out V-Reps. V-Reps was founded by basketball players and coaches to create tools that make learning plays easily a reality. V-Reps allows coaches to turn their 2D playbook into a 3D interactive video game that players can watch on any mobile device on their own time. Don't just have players watch film, have them live it and control the players so that they have a better, more efficient learning experience. It's free to try. Go to vreps.us to sign up today. Today we are joined by uh, Coach Randy Sherman of Radius Radius Athletics. He is his ramp uh, coaching coaching program, Twitter contributor, um, doing all kinds of awesome stuff. I think what is it? Five out summer, right, Coach? Uh, five, in there, five yeah. out summer. So uh, we're working on his five out concepts. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing well, man. Thanks, thanks uh, for inviting me on and. I enjoy talking with coaches from all over the country, and and uh, this is always a fun experience. So I appreciate you guys inviting me tonight. Absolutely. So, you know, Todd and I, the secret behind our podcast, we always tell people is, you know, there was no basketball season because of COVID, and we were too mm-hmm. bored coaches sitting around, and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we decided to start the podcast. But kind of take our listeners through, you know, what was your goal when you started Radius Athletics? You know, kind of why did you start it? And why was it important for you to, to get your message out uh, when you started it? I'd say that, that my goal when starting it was really kind of just for fun, just a, just, just a creative outlet around basketball. Um, a couple of coaching colleagues, guys I coached with and against from years ago, decades ago now, um, they encouraged me. Um, I was kind of between careers. I coached for 11 years and then I got into sports performance business and, and that, that, that kind of moved me around a little bit. And I was kind of like looking for a way to get back in basketball, but, um, the, some coaches that I worked with and coached against back in the day, they said, you know, look what people are doing on Twitter now and social media. And I didn't have any of that stuff. I literally didn't know, no interest in it at all. Um, but, um, kind of started sharing some basketball stuff and it kind of took off and was popular. And, um, that's, that's how it all started back in, I'd say the summer of 2015. Didn't really set out for it to be a job or an income generator or anything like that, but it, it, it turned into one and I'm happy about that. And, and it's kind of a success story in that this is what I do now is give, give my time and my thoughts and my eyes and ears to coaches. And 
Um, as far as why, I would say uh, this is something I think a lot about. Um, why did I start doing this or why am I still doing this? And I think our why as coaches sometimes moves around, you know, like, and we lose sight of it. I know I have, I know I did when I actually coached some and, and I have in this role, I've sort of lost sight of my why from time to time. And I, and I have to refocus it. Um, I would say that if you, you, since you did ask me, what, what my why for, for what I do with Radius Athletics is, I would say is to help coaches find their own self-confidence, um, to help them develop their own philosophy, um, you know, where they're sort of not being swayed by marketing and, and uh, copycatting and things like that. They're, they're, I really try to help coaches find what they want for their teams and programs based on what's inside them as a coach. And I just am a guide to help bring that out of them, you know, and articulate it and uh, something that's rooted in their own beliefs is what I want to get out of coaches. Uh, so wanted to go over your process for filtering information, right? Because okay. like you mentioned Twitter and I mean, there's so much information out there, both just in your daily schedule, right? Because I think that's important. And then basketball wise. So, you know, I know, uh, you know, in, in our in our group chat we have right that we're in there you're always talking about how you process your day and schedule your day so I guess what went into developing that um how does how does that help you and, and how can coaches apply that to their daily lives yeah I'm a big believer in time blocking um so that's that's what I do for my own day is is time block like I, I plan out you know from let's say 8 to 10 a.m I'm going to interact with the coaches I, I work with in the group chat, like you mentioned, and from 10 to noon, I'm going to watch video or something. I'm just giving examples of, of time blocking of, of, and during that, that time block, that's what I'm doing. I'm not also checking my email and, you know, I hear an alert on my phone or something like I, I, I really try to focus on what that, what that uh, time block is, is allotted for. So, you know, what does that look like as a coach? You know, you've got, a lot of your time blocked for you. If you're a classroom teacher, you're, you know, where you're going to be during those hours, but, but um, you know, I think that's, you know, blocking in family time, blocking in um, practice planning time, film review time, like, like really making blocks of time that are dedicated to a singular thing and sticking to it is, is what I found to work for me to keep me from being uh, distracted. So that's a, I think that's a tool that coaches could use is the idea of time blocking. So let's go now to the basketball part of it. And okay. Filtering everything that's out there, right? I know uh, me and John have used this before in other podcasts, but we've talked about having a deletion party, right? I don't know if you yeah. Getting, getting fast model and just getting, getting rid of stuff. Um, yeah. So let's go with the basketball side, filtering all that information down and, and kind of getting rid of the fluff. Well, so the first thing I would say is, is that information consumption is a voluntary endeavor. You don't have to do it. <laughs> so, so um, I think that's, that's, that's step one is like, if I felt like as a coach, I was, you know, I felt this, this, um, this, urge that was that was working against me of like hey I know what I want to do with my team and I know what I want to do with my program but you know I keep looking at Twitter and YouTube and I get second thoughts and doubt then then my first piece of advice would be 
to, to take this thing right here I'm holding, this phone, find the nearest largest body of water you can and throw it as far as you can. So that would be my first bit of advice. If I just put, you know, I've got to control my environment first. So like if I needed to lose weight, I get the cookies and candy out of the house. If I needed to stop drinking, I get the beer and wine out of the house. So the, the first step would be to control my environment if I felt like I had some sort of um, problem with, um, I guess you could say focus or uh, along those lines. So that'd be my first bit of advice. My second bit of advice for me personally as a coach, it would all start with style of play. So um, how we want to play, how I want my team to play, the things we teach in our basketball program sort of serves as my filter. Um, so for example, if I was a team that ran I don't know, like maybe an old school style Bob Knight motion where it was just all off ball screening, down screens, flare screens, cross screens, back screens, things like that. But there weren't any, any say ball screens or something like that. Well, boom, I've got a filter already in place. Like there's all the basketball information in the world, but like I don't need to watch seven tips to have a better ball screen offense if I don't do that. So, so to me, it all started with, with style of play. So that's your filter. If you're a dribble drive team who has an offense, say that maybe doesn't even have a single screen in the entire offense. I, I've automatically created a filter for my consumption. So I've, I've taken it and, and imagine a big funnel of all the basketball information entering that funnel. Well, what makes it through my funnel are things that pertain to the style of play that I teach in our basketball program. So uh for me, it all starts with, with what you do as a team and as a program and what your, what your thing is as a coach. And that gives you a mechanism of like, hey, cool, I'm great. I'm sure it's great information. I'm sure that coach presenting on the seven tips for a better ball screen offense is thorough, knowledgeable, you know, knows his subject. Great, but like, I don't need that. So that, that's how I sort of would recommend tackling that. All right. So we don't necessarily always, as, as Todd and I like to say, we don't always nerd out on, on deep into offensive concepts, but I'm, I'm a nerd out now. So okay, I'm a very simple offensive coach myself. I like you, you know, I I've taken something from you in my five years as a head coach, which is if I add something, I take something away. Mm -hmm. I think that's mm -hmm. so important. And, you know, Todd and I are both teachers. So I, I often think of it like a teacher. So you got your unit, which is kind of like your system into your lesson plans, into your assignments. So I kind of be like offense as a whole concepts, skills needed for those concepts and drills. Mm -hmm. So for, for a young coach, let's first start off with, you know, how would you first start off by installing that system? Would you first start off with thinking it as a whole or as parts or as skills? How would you start for that first year head coach? I'd say the first step is deciding what it will be, what, what that, system is going to be um so you know again goes back to what we just spoke about of of the problem of of all the information so i've got to make a decision at some point right we've got to decide this is what we're going to do with this team and program so that's that's the first step is to make that decision of what are we going to teach um, i'd say second and I've, and I've already kind of touched on this already tonight too would be for for um, different 
styles of play, there are different what I call priority skills. So like, for example, let's just refer to something I've already referred, referred to, and that would be like if, if I was going to teach an old school Bob Knight style of motion that has a lot of off ball screening, well, anything pertaining to sitting a down screen, a flare screen or an off ball screen, boom, that's a priority skill for that style of play. So um, my guys have got to learn how to set up a screen, read a screen, play off of a, a cut. The screener's got to know their angles. The cutter's got to know how to set it up. So so boom, my mind and my drill sheet is already being populated with things that if we're going to play this way optimally, here is the priority skills for this way of playing. And they may vary from style to style. For example, I referred to dribble drive earlier where there's no off ball screens, right? So, so I don't need to know any of that stuff. What do I have to work on? Starting a drive, stopping a drive, uh, you know, driving kick game, hit and catch and shoot threes, things like that. So, so there's subtle differences in priority skills from style to style identify those make make a list and then then you then you go about devising a skill skill development regimen around those priority skills for that way of playing um, and then i apply those skills from two on two to three on three to four on four to five on five that's you know for the sake of time tonight i would say that's 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 how I, I went about it and would advise going about it is identify the priority skills that we need to play this way. Uh, come up with a way to teach those things, some drills, some tools you're going to use, some language. Um, that's your skill development program. And then, and then apply those skills into game-like vignettes, two-on-two, three-on-three, four-on-four, and build it out to hold. So I kind of tended to co-teach whole and part at the sort of the same time, not one then the other, one while the other. So during one segment, segment of practice, we might be looking at the entire movement of our offense, but then we, then we break it down into twos and threes and fours and things like that. So I tended to sort of, of, of stir that together a little bit. So for that young coach that's taken over the high school program, the college program for the first time, what would your advice be on, do you want to come in with your own system and make that personnel fit the system? Do you want to see your personnel and then fit your system around your personnel? How would you advise the young coach to go about that? I would say probably to that coach or to even, not even just a young coach, to, to a veteran coach too, that that one of those two options probably just comes natural to you. One of those two options, whether it is to sort of like, Hey, whatever kind of kids I have, we're just, I'm going to come in, I'm going to teach my, you know, my offense and my defense and we'll bring them along and we'll be good when we're good. And if that feels natural to you, just lean into that and, and do that. If, 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 kind of taking it year by year, team by team and player by player is feels more natural to you, I would advise that. Um, so I don't know if that's dodging your question, but, but I would say whatever, like there, I think there's something within our own personalities where some coaches just think in systems. They think, you know, in, 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 uh, in terms of, of system and they, they then give, they view the role as the coach and they view the role of practice time as okay, this is how we're going to play. This is my player's current ability to play this way. 
And what we do with our practice time is give the skills to our players to play this way. And when they have them, we'll be good. Um, other coaches, it just, that does not feel natural. That does not, they, that does not feel um, okay with them. So they tend to tailor what they want to do to their personnel. Neither one of those is wrong. Neither one of those is superior or inferior. I think, I think we come with us sort of preloaded to think one way or the other. If you're asking me personally, what kind of coach of those two I more was, it was definitely more of the system style coach of if, if I got hired tomorrow, I wouldn't, I don't even need to watch last year's film. Don't care. Don't, don't, don't care what they did. Don't care what I've got. We're going to play this way. And I know I've got work to do and we'll be good at it when we're good at it. That that's just the way I approach the problem of being the coach. That's not right or wrong. It's just different. I, you know, I, I think that's so interesting because we have so many guests on that are like, uh, you know, that, that they'll say, you know, you want to look at your personnel and fit it to your personnel. And, and I think I, I, your, your approach is so refreshing in that, you know, to the coaches out there, like just do what's comfortable to you. I guess my other, my other follow-up would be, do you ever consult your players and say like, where are you comfortable offensively or where are you comfortable? What skills are you good at? And, and get their input on the offensive system or offensive development? Yeah, this may not be a popular answer with the hipster coach crowd, but no, I did not. I, I personally just, this is, you know, like I would, just so we're, you know, speaking the same language and can refer to, like, like if Jim Beheim went to go coach a high school basketball program, what's he going to run defensively? Yes, yeah, 2-3 zone. Like, sight unseen. Yep. That, that's what he's going to do. When you hire him, that's what you hire. When you hire me, you hired this style of play. So that's what you're going to get. And it may, it may take a year or two, three, whatever for us to get good at it and skilled up well enough to do it at a, at a high level. But that's just the way I approach coaching. And that's because that's just in my own nature, not that it's right. I, I would say that like, I have seen, and, and when I, my time as a coach, I definitely ran up against teams in the playoffs, third, fourth, you know, semifinal rounds of the state playoffs and things like that, who it's the same teams every year, right? Yep. And not only that, I've been coaching for decades and like some of these small towns in Texas where I coached and, and observed is like, it's the same team every year, same teams, short list of teams who win and win big every year. Not only that, they sort of look the same. Like it's like they graduated six players, six new guys come in and there's a, just a different guy standing in that corner and they're running the same offense and they've been running it for 37 years and they win every year. Yep. So th these things are all around us. These systems are all around us. And, and I know it's sort of a minority view and a minority way of coach, but I definitely saw it as a coach. Like, um, you know, not only is it the same teams win every year, like I could go to Siberia for five years and come back and watch some of those girls basketball programs and boys basketball programs and be like, yep, there's old coach so-and-so at whatever high school still running his blankety blank offense looks the same looks and those kids can still do it, you know? So 
I don't know how they do that. I, that. I guess they just someone they started it when they when they got hired they started it and that and now they've got that. So, yeah, there, you probably do speak to a lot of coaches who, who, take the opposite opinion and and but, you know, no, I, like I, it. I sure it's see so I sure see counter evidence. Yeah, I like it. Well, so. All right, so let's flip to the defensive side because uh, I feel okay. like a lot of times we talk you know, just kind of, I guess, offense is the pretty thing, right? You know, uh-huh. offense is the the pretty thing to talk about. But um, so what defenses do you feel disrupt an offensive flow and rhythm, whether it be a style, whether it be something a team does, you know, a specific uh, trap, whatever, whatever it may be, what do you, what do you see that disrupts offense the most? Well, Todd, as you know, I'm a pressure man-to-man guy, so that's yep. going to be my answer tonight. Um, I think if we had to dig deeper into pressure man-to-man of what, of what what disrupts offense in that in that part of my answer would be the denial. So the usage of denial to me to take away ball movement and isolate the ball was uh, was what I found to disrupt opponents. Um, we want to shrink the court with denial. So when it's on a side, we keep it on a side using denial. We want to disconnect the player with the basketball from his or her teammates by using denial to where they feel like they're alone with the ball. I can't throw it here. I can't throw it there. Um, we want to um, kind of separate the team from their coach and their well-rehearsed um, offenses and sets and patterns and things like that by using denial. Like if they can just make the next pass, make the next cut, make the next screen, keep the offense turning over side to side. They've been running through this five on O for weeks, months, years, maybe, you know, what, what I, I use to deny denial and heavy denial to strip all of that away. You will not be connected with your teammates tonight, your offense that you're, you know, used to running through that teams just, you know, allow you to make ball reversals and pass it from down up over and down up over again. That's not happening tonight. You may still beat us, but not that way. You, you'll have to get into what I call sort of like guerrilla warfare style of basketball. Like there's no rules. Like tonight, your, your, uh, you know, your offense that you use to score is not going to work. That doesn't mean we're going to shut you out. It doesn't mean you won't beat us, but you're going to have to improvise and, and, and you've been, uh, the X's and O's have been kind of tossed out and you're going to have to go it alone or your players are going to have to go it alone. Let's say it's kind of a two-part question then. Now, I think a lot of people, when they talk about pressure, man, they're like, oh man, you know, I can't do that because, well, I don't have this girl's not quick enough and, and, or this guy isn't, you know, fast enough or whatever it may be, or we just can't do it because of athleticism or whatever it may be. Um, so, so how can you adjust that pressure man for things like that? Because everybody's not going to, you know, be Ron Artest from back the day, just up in your face. So you have to, right. you've got to accommodate to your skills a little bit, but still being able to pressure. So my first part to this answer would be kind of what I referred to. We're, we're going to use our practice time to build those skills and abilities. We're going to use the weight room, our conditioning program, our off-season program, all our practice minutes like, yeah, well, maybe we can't do do this is great right now on may 11th but we don't play tonight on may 11th we play in november so between now and then we're going to become better able to do this um but yeah you're right um 
there are some teams that just probably don't have the physical attributes to play this, to play in that fashion. So don't do it. I mean, uh, uh, and, and I would say you don't disrupt every team the same way. Some teams that, um, that um, you know, can, can really drive and penetrate and take it to the hole, um, you know, you might disrupt them. In, in to, 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 if you'll give me some flexibility with that word disrupt, you might disrupt them by making them shooters and not letting them do what they want. That would disrupt that team or that player. So there's different ways to disrupt, particularly within the pressure, man. I found it more to be um, if I if I was going to dial it back, uh, you know, from full all out denial, it would probably be we would just deny um, what I would call centering passes, passes that that go from the outer third back to the inner third where maybe the balls have been put on the side and they want to. They want, you know, maybe they pass to a side. We might allow that pass or not deny that pass. And then they go screen away and they're going to bring someone else to the swing spot, the top, and they're going to reverse their offense through that player. We might deny that pass. So, so a little bit of selective denial to, to shrink the court uh, might be like a, a happy medium between the all-out denial and, and just um, um, sort of a compact gap style defense. So. Uh, that, that'd be one way you could modify it is just uh, modify passes that increase the space of, allotted to the offense. All right, then let's get into how you feel on, uh, you know, I, I'm big on changing defenses, like just throwing a, throwing a change up out there out of a timeout. Uh, I know John does that a ton as well. We will just, when we ever we're play, we just flip stuff around all the time. Um, so, you know, how can, uh, you know, how do you feel on just incorporating that? Um, you know, do you, do you like that kind of chess game or do you think that gets too complicated for, for teams? Um, I'll tell you this. I, I've, I've gone, I've coached against teams that, that do that. And I, and I, I do kind of find it rhythm breaking. I, I personally didn't do it as a coach. We played man-to-man defense probably 95 to whatever percent of the time. Um, I didn't do that, but I, I will say I've gone against coaches who did that. And, and, you know, it does like, okay, well, about the time we get kind of cranked up and in a rhythm against this defense, they're showing something else. Um, you know, the better teams that I had that didn't really bother us so much. I mean, because like the way I view it is like, you're just, you know, what, what menu are you picking from? You're, you know, so you're picking from man to man, a two, three zone, a one, two, two, a one, three, one. So like you're, you're, you're switching defenses, but like, we've got a plan for all of them. Right. So it's not like, what is this new thing they just jumped into? Like you're, you're showing me something that I've seen in basketball before. So you are, you're switching defenses. So it's not like you're like, we don't know what to do against this zone. We do. We maybe we played a one three one team last week, and we 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 have a plan for that. So like, we, you're not. It, it's it's not like that coach is like catching me. Like, oh, what is this thing they're doing? I don't know what to tell my team to do. But but yes, I do I do feel and have experienced how like okay, well, you know, we we kind of just got into a rhythm against this defense, and now we're gonna in in jumping in and out of of those. Um, can sort of keep you from really getting into your groove as an offense. Um, so um, I, it's not something I did 
not, but it's not something I would call a bad idea either. But I, I would, I'll tell you why I didn't do it. And it kind of goes back to something we've already talked about is like, I tended to view practice minutes, say we've got a two hour practice, that's 120 minutes uh, as dollars. So let's call that $120. And everything I write down on my practice plan in a given day, think of, think of I've got to go into my own wallet and buy those minutes. Okay, we're gonna go 10 minutes of this. I've got to reach into my wallet, get $10 and put it and give it away. You following this analogy? Yep. So like, um, you know, I felt like my money was going a bunch of different places if I did that, rather than all of it going to one place. And, and um, I would, I felt like with given practice time, given, um, given the way I tend to approach those minutes, that I wanted to a lot as much of it as I can to kind of being great at one defense. But, right, so, uh, oh, you know, I, I always, and, and it goes back to something John said, okay, if we're gonna, what, if we're gonna have, if we're gonna employ this style of play and we're gonna, we're gonna have a one, two, two, a one, three, one, a two, three, a man, a saggy man, a pressure man, and, everything we add we're taking but we've got to take something out or another way of looking at it is like okay if i'm going to add this today what are we not doing so i couldn't ever get over that mental hurdle for me personally of like yeah don't complain about we can't shoot when i just spent 30 minutes putting in my new defense that i'm going to roll out for like three game minutes don't complain about we can't handle the ball that because I put in my new fangled one, three, one that I'm going to roll out for five game minutes a night. So I, I, that's why I didn't do it. Not, not, not belittling anyone's approach, but I, I kind of kept the X's and O's decisions simple, made them up front. This is what we're going to do and why. And now I can devote all my minutes to it. All right. So let's flip back to the offensive side now. Great. Um, everything filters down right switching defenses everybody you know watch nba game everybody switching five through one right mm -hmm. um so offensively right a lot, a lot of teams have trouble when when teams switch they don't necessarily know how to especially at the lower levels right they don't necessarily know how to okay i'm not going to iso this guy not like a hard end or whatever so how, how you go about offensively attacking a switching defense well, I think that's a good question, and it's something that um, that you know I see too when I watch the professional game. Um, you know what what there's there's different little tactics that we could we could get into that they use. You know, like boomerangs and and uh, slipping screens and things like that. But but at the end of the day, what what you what you tend to see is it forces it forces um, the offensive team who's trying to use an action to create an advantage, the actions just get neutralized through switching, whether that be off ball screen, on ball screen, handoff or whatever. And, and, you know, they've got a shot clock bearing down on them. So the, the offense then sort of has to have playmakers. So, so this probably isn't the answer either of you or the listeners want to hear of like, just give me like a quick fix to fix and beat switching. But like, I'm switching because I don't want your actions to work. Um, and that, that happens and you can only beat me by having playmakers. So my answer to how to beat switching 
would be to devote time and energy to developing playmakers who, who, you know, sure we can we can run through our offense one side, two side, three sides, um, I, I, and and nothing's really happening. I've got to have somebody to to create something individually, and um, you know that's why players in the professional league leagues who can do that are highly paid. <laughs> $30 million guys who, who, Hey, switch all you want, no matter who's going to guard me, I can make something happen. Um, that's not a short-term fix. Um, I often think too, that coaches, what I see is they sort of, sort of bog down to too much on like nitpicking on a switch. And, um, if I had to give like a short-term kind of strategic or tactical style answer tonight, I would say, that just keep playing is my one thing I'm, I'm I call it JKP just keep playing like if we if we get another side set another screen or run consecutive actions handoff ball screen down screen handoff some you know where where our actions are bang 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 eventually maybe we'll catch a botch switch someone will goof up we'll miss they'll miscommunicate but if we just make them if we run one action they switch and we go oh my god they're switching and we feel like the, the 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 movement and flow of our offense has to stop well I think the defense is kind of one in that moment so so I, my advice is to just keep playing design things that that string together consecutive actions that are that are like a combination punch in, in boxing where it's jab cross or hook uppercut that come back to back and make it harder for those teams to switch using three people I'm switching who you got I got I, now I got you know we got down screen handoff you know, ball screen or, you know, all back to back to back to where the communication by the defense just has to be extraordinary to, to work through all that. So uh, I'm real big on some, you know, consecutive actions, throwing combinations in your offense. Those are harder to switch as a coach who did teach switching defense. If, if you got one guy holding, you're going to go set a down screen and that's your thing you're dependent on. Like that's not good enough or, you're just going to set a ball screen and we're going to switch it. And that's what you were, that you were resting all your hopes on that. That's not good enough. Like, like make us have to switch consecutive actions that go bang, bang, bang. And we're probably even a well-coached team is going to botch that from time to time. And you, you might find yourself with an opportunity to score there. All right. So let's put the, uh, the, the crystal ball hat on and, and let's take our listeners through you know, Todd would Todd would talk about it. he's a he's a defensive first guy. I, I, I'm definitely a defensive first guy, but I also love offense. So, where do you see offense going in the future for the game of basketball? Obviously, even from the year 2000 until now, offense has has changed so much. Where do you where do you see that? Where do you see offense going? Well, I think I think what we're seeing now is is offense being shaped by analytics and data. So that's only going to be uh, proliferated, proliferated more and more. And what what high school coaches now have access to in terms of data, shot charts, analytics, basic you know basic four factor data, things like that. Like you mentioned, twenty years ago was that was not available. Like I coached twenty years ago, that was not a, that was I would have had to thought of it myself. It wasn't like um, as commonplace as it is now. So things that are available to you now were probably only available to professional coaches even 10, 20 years ago. That's only going to, to uh, increase. That, 
So offenses are shaped by analytics and smart coaches will be seeking efficiency. Um, that we're learning how we're learning more about what efficient shots are and, and inefficient plays being erased and scrubbed away. Um, so offense in the future is going to be shaped by uh, analytics and it's going to be shaped by coaches seeking efficiency. And this will impact a lot of things. It will impact where players stand on the court. It will impact shot selection. Um, the three-pointer is what's kind of cool now. You know, like if, if, if you're my age, when you, turned into, when you tuned into Sports Center when I was a teenager in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, you know, Dominique Wilkins and Michael Jordan and, and um, Kenny Skywalker and people like that was what you saw in Sports Center were dunks. They would show five dunks and then who won the game at, in the Sports Center highlights. Now we get clips of, you know, Steph Curry hitting 10 threes and James Harden making 12 threes and, and Duncan Robinson, you know, is cool now. Like that, that would have not ever been a player that was cool back when I played. I had the jump shoes with the platform under the foot trying to jump higher and so we could all dunk. We all wanted to be like Mike. Now it's so, so the, 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 the three-pointer is what's cool now. That's the emulated thing. And it blends and is married with the analytic data. So um, that's where I see offense going is, is going to be more about spacing, positioning, keeping the lane open, um, and, and that really tight, disciplined shot selection of, of scoring at the rim or taking three-point shots and, and um, in, as a way of seeking efficiency. That's only going to increase every year from here to four for, for coaches at all levels. So, all right. That's, so, that's, so I'm a big, I'm like you, I'm a big five out guy. My, my coaches make fun of me because I don't, I don't think about stuff like center power forward, small forward, shooting guard, point guard anymore. Mm -hmm. Just don't. I kind of think about like, if I have a true post player, like a hybrid, a wing or a point guard. So kind of take me through what, why do you feel the five out offensive style is, is so effective? Why do you feel that that's the best way to go? I agree with you, but I'm just curious on your thoughts. Why do you feel that's the best way to go? Is, is it because of concepts like double gap attacks or, or why do you feel that? Well, first I would, I would, I would, uh, I would, I'm hesitant to use the word best and right. Sure. I, I don't use those words Agreed. because like, I, I, I don't know if it's the best way to go. I, I don't know that. I, I really don't. I, I know what I prefer and what I like, but what's best is not a universal thing. So let's tweak that. Why do you like it the best? I, I tend to like it the best because there, there are some, um, if I make that decision up front, like I said, if I got hired tomorrow, I'm going to walk in, I'm going to bring a five out possibly, unless I mean like have Shaq's son on my team or something, but like, like I'm going to bring a five out style of play with me because it, it, it forces me as a coach to do some things that, that, um, that are beneficial to player development. If we're all going to face the basket, we've all got to be able to face the basket, you know, like, so now it forces me to teach 
universal and global skills to all of my players, regardless of height, size, all of those things that tend to get attributed to positions. So I like it for me personally because of the, 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 the onus it puts on me as the coach to like, okay, if this is what we're going to do, we've got to all be able to establish a pivot foot on the catch. We've all got to be able to, you know, attack with right hand, left hand. We've all got to be able to do those things, no matter size or attributes. So I like it for that reason, because I feel that it, it really forces me to be a player development minded coach. So then my other follow-up is with transition, I've, I've personally gone back and forth. I know there's coaches out there that go back and forth. You know, what is, what is your thought as a five out coach in the half court? You know, mm -hmm. are you a, a person that wants to do the four out with a rim runner? Do you want to do the double-sided fast break with, with more of a five out look with the, the quote unquote post player taking it out into some kind of drag screen action? What's your transition offensive ideas into your five out half court? Yeah, I, I, I kind of just, I've, I've wrestled with this before myself as a coach. And then now as I counsel coaches, helping them sort of like, you know, what do, um, that the first thing I would say to, to any coach who's like thinking they want to go five out, but they're kind of still like, it just feels too non-traditional not to have a rim runner or something like that. I'll say, send me 25 clips of outlet one, throw it right ahead to your five and they're scoring all night long. Like, you show me you're doing that and like keep your rim runner. But like, to me, like, I, I just don't see enough from coaches other than just fear of change to be like, Oh, I can't get rid of my rim runner. Like, what are they scoring like 30 a game or something? Like, like just get, they're not, you're not getting anything out of it. Why, why is it, why are you so hard, you know, reticent to let this go? Um, so I'm, I just developed a very simple rubric, again, from my own self, is if we're going to be a five-out half-court offense, we're not going to use a rim runner. If we're going to be a four-out, one-in half-court offense, we'll use a rim runner. That, that's, that's how I made that decision. So um, it, I, want, I, want, I use the phrase show up. I want our team, as we enter into the, into the front court, into half-court offense, to show up in our offensive alignment and not have to do this, okay, we're there, but we got this guy, and I want you to go out to this side and not, you know, wait, when I sub him out, then we don't have a rim run. Like all those little things like that, those trails that trying to cling to something from the past make me go down as a coach, I don't, I get rid of them. one fell swoop. If we're five out, we have a rim run. We don't have a rim runner for four out, one in, we do. That's how I made that decision. Simple as that. <laughs> no, Again, it's, it's, it's great advice. That's, 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 um, you know, common sense is the best attribute. So like if, if that's not to say if like, you know, we get a rebound outlet and my five men's their defender is just like really slow or like fell down or something. Well, yeah, take off. I mean, duh, you know, like be a basketball player, but, but generally speaking, I wanted, uh, I want my team to show up in the front court in our offensive alignment without me having to, you know, okay. No, now we got a you out to here and you, now we're ready. No, like I, I just want to be click, click right into these spots. Um, so let's, I want to move into special situations. We talked to uh, Lynn Dunn the other uh, two episodes ago. She's, she's, she does awesome stuff with special situations and just thinking about where you can mm -hmm. kind of steal some points. 
Uh, and I thought it's just an interesting question to ask different coaches because I think everybody probably has different priorities. So where, yeah. like, what is one area, those special situations, whatever you want to pick, uh, that coaches maybe overlook where you can, you can steal some points, you know, get a six points here, you know, eight points on a good night. Yeah. Um, I'm a horrible special situations guy. <laughs> I, I just, I'm this not my strong suit. I, I need help here. Still do. And, and the coaches I work with, as you know, Todd, they're a lot better at this than I am. I just sort of be quiet when that, when these questions start flowing around, because my favorite special situation is being up by 25. Um, <laughs> well, okay. So uh, the, the, um, there, there is one that I think that, that I, I tended to use in games that I didn't see. I saw it in an NCAA tournament game this year that I was like, all right, I, 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 there's somebody right there who, who, who kind of – who someone else who did this. And, and I don't even remember who it was. But you, this will be just really granular in a micro-level answer to, to a special situation. I was watching a high school game. Um, a, a coach that I work with here in Texas, I was at his game personally, or I know I was watching it online, excuse me. I was watching it online um, due to COVID, it was streamed. And, um, and, you know, I'm watching it online and I'm rooting for him to win, but he's kind of in that late game special where he's behind by like a basket or two and just kind of can't climb the hill. And, and there's a minute and a half, two minutes left. And he, and he you know, he gets down, gets it within three and fouls. The other team goes to the free throw line, makes one out of two or two out of two. He's back down to five. Maybe he scores, cuts it to three, cuts, makes three, cuts it to two, and he fouls. And he's, they go to the line, make a couple free throws. Now he's back down two possessions, down four points or something like that. And I wanted to be like, don't, don't, you know, like, don't, like, you're, you're going to that a little too soon. What, what I like to do in that situation, if I was at the free throw line, Within, a, within one shot, three, two, or one, within one shot, and we missed a free throw. So I'm getting real specific here. Sorry. So this is a real specific special situation. We're, we're within, say, two or three. The player at the line misses the free throw. So the other team gets the, gets the rebound, and I see okay. so many teams foul just right away. And they're, it's like they're voluntarily putting themselves down four or five points we tended to trap the rebounder right there. Jam the rebounder with, yeah. with maybe the shooter. Jam the rebounder with the shooter. And then, and then um, kind of sit up like a one-two-two style trap off the miss. We're probably going to press if we make it anyway, right? We're behind. Right. We're running out of time. We're probably going to press if we make it anyway. So that's already the situation if we make it. But if we miss, we're just going to foul, put them on the line and volunteer to be down two possessions again and keep playing this game. I, I like I like to trap a missed free throw in that situation down down at least one basket. And, you know, if we do, if we get a good press, a good jam of the rebounder, we, tr we get a good trap of the outlet. Maybe they'll turn it over and we don't have to foul. We don't have to call timeout. We don't have to, you know, get a steal, call timeout. We get a live ball turnover and 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 cut into that lead or take the lead if, if we're down only one so I, that'd be my answer is like on on a miss down one shot three two or one a missed free throw 
be ready to press off the miss right there without just immediately going fouling. If we don't get a good trap, if we don't get a good jam and they, they look like they're going to break free, yeah, use your foul. You, it costs you maybe a second or two, which is precious. I get that's the trade-off. But sometimes that unexpected of like, hey, we're going to get pressed on the miss, um, the, the, the opponent is ready for that. But we're going to get pressed – I'm sorry, we're going to get pressed on the maid. They're ready for that. They, they know that's going to mm -hmm. come. Right. They're expecting to just get fouled right away on the miss. Well, now make them set up and handle like a pressure, you know, an aggressive trap of the outlet or jam the rebound and off the miss. And, and you might come up with a turnover. That'd be critical. All right. So for our final two segments, we, we like to do uh, the first one and we call 30 second timeout. So okay. it's your, your platform to talk about whatever you want. Obviously as Todd and I joke with all our guests, and I hate to bring up Lynn Dunn again, but she was so funny about, it's a very loose 30 second timeout. There's no official in your timeout telling you your timeout's over, but okay. you know, this is anything you want to talk to our listeners about something you're passionate about an outside organization or charity you're involved with a story that you, that you like to tell, you know, a unique topic, anything you want to talk about for you personally over the next 30 or so seconds for our listeners, the floor is yours. All right, 30 seconds. I would say come join me for five out some. Uh, we, um, that, that would be what I, I'm, I'm really geeking out on all summer. I'm watching all kinds of teams from professional to college to Europe, all over and just sort of like taking ideas and remixing them and remastering them. So, what I want one is to teach coaches how to do that remix and remaster things they see from various teams and turn it into something, a teachable system. And two, to learn along with me on, on this journey. So as I do that, I just want coaches to join me on that. So follow hashtag five out summer on Twitter or come be a part of my ramp program, which you can find out about um, by emailing me or, or, or looking me up at radiusathletics.com. But yeah, just just come come on this five out journey with me this summer and let's have some fun. That's what I that's my 30 seconds. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, it'll be it'll definitely definitely be fun. Um, all right. Next one. Quick hitters. Kind of just okay. rapid fired questions. Some basketball, pop, pop, pop. some not basketball. OK, you know, answer answer however you want. All right. I'm ready. Um, and John and I will kind of alternate favorite offensive concept to teach transition offense. Fast the fast break, the transition offense game. There it is. All right. For we got outside activity that is not basketball. Something hobby or activity you like to do. Read. Read lots of books. Um, I'm also a bit of a wine nerd. So like like um, you know, wine tasting and learning all about wines from around the world. So there's two. Sorry. Maybe I'm supposed to stick with one. Oh, well, you're good. Okay. <laughs> you're good. Most uh, the most skilled basketball player today, man, man, woman, who do you think is the most pure skills in the game? Steph Curry. Is anyone ever given an answer other than that? <laughs> I, I mean, I, I wouldn't think it'd, it'd probably be hard. You'd probably press to find anybody else, but that's my answer. Steph Curry. I mean, his ball handling, shooting, passing, just he's like a cross between a real player and a globetrotter. Like he's like a Harlem globetrotter, but a real player, if you will. So yeah, Steph Curry. 
All right, so now we got most pure, just pure offense to watch in the game of basketball. Like a team? Yeah, just a team. Um, Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's a good answer. I like that one. I agree. All right, we mentioned books. Uh, it could be an article. Something that you've read recently or seen that's kind of piqued your interest. doesn't have to be basketball. It could be any realm. Okay. Um, well, I'm always going to plug this book. There's a book called Essentialism by uh, Greg McCowan that's, um, that's um, really shaped me. Um, really shaped me as a, as a person and has really helped me help coaches. So that'd be one. So piqued my interest would be the same author has a new book out called Effortless that I have not read yet, but will soon. So just judging by how much I like this first one, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to uh, the, the, the book, his new one called Effortless. And pro tip, I check books out from the library. <laughs> Tend not to buy them because I don't like a lot of clutter. If I do buy one, like I'll, I'll get it from the library if I really like it and I want to keep it. I, I get on my Kindle on my phone. So that way I don't. So I uh, have a bunch of clutter around. So that's always um, my uh, my go to is I, I'll get a free trial at the library. <laughs> OK. All right. So for this one, it's the most fun team, like uh, just a team you watch on TV, college, pro, whatever. Most fun team for you to watch. Can I go back in time for this one? Yes, sure can. Um, Phoenix Suns of Mike D'Antoni's era. Uh, the that 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 was a team that when I, I was still coaching at that time, and the way he coached that team and the way they played really shaped me. I'm a huge D'Antoni stand. Like like I love. He, he's he's a very innovative coach and has shaped a lot of what you see in the NBA today is could be attributed to him. Um, so that that would be my past seven from the past. Or less. Yeah. Um, if you made me say a present, I love, love, love watching the Miami Heat. They 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 check a lot of boxes for me um, as far as the way they play on both sides of the ball the way that team is constructed of just sort of like guys, there's not really a superstar on that team. You could say Jimmy Butler is, but he's sort of like surrendered to that franchise as far, you know, he could probably go somewhere else and average more points and all of that stuff. But like they sort of play as a group and um, the way they play defense, the way they have multiple shooters and scores, they have a good, a, a roster constructed like how I would do it if I was, a GM or something. Yeah. Love they, watching him. They play so hard on defense. They, do. they play really hard. Yeah. So really hard. I love watching that. It's, it's, it really, yeah. I love watching them play. So their pieces, their pieces all kind of just fit together. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So your choice, you can only do three things offensively. You only got three things you can do. What are they? Okay. We're going big on transition offense. That's one. Uh, I'm calling this one because I'm going to hyphenate the word. So it's one word, <laughs> drive and kick. That's really, I guess, a couple things, but like that's one concept, right? You'll give uh, yeah. me that latitude. Sorry. I will. We will. Okay. Transition offense, drive and kick game and drag screens. And those kind of, kind of can all be the same thing, right? I mean, transition, drag into the drive and kick. So that's, that's enough to get you by right there. For sure. Coach, it's, uh, th this is, I mean, we, 
we could we could nerd out on basketball for the next three hours. Yeah. Please follow coach. Uh, please follow coach for five out summer. Please follow him on radiusathletics.com. I was just on Radius Athletics during this episode, looking <laughs> at uh, his uh, his full court press shadow and face stuff. And you know, I might be uh, be purchasing some stuff soon. But Coach, thank you for joining us. It was phenomenal. Yeah, guys. So th- this was so much fun. We we greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on. And and uh, you guys keep it up, man. Good. You guys are having some good conversations, and you're only going to. Um, you're only going to learn by, by doing this and become better coaches by, by this creative outlet. So I, I applaud you. So keep it up. Thank you for listening to another episode of the After the Timeout podcast, hosted by Todd Zazadil and John Palicki. For more show content and upcoming episodes, Follow us on Twitter at After the Timeout or subscribe to our podcast for upcoming episodes. For show inquiries, you can email us at afterthetimeout at gmail.com. You can find all of our previous episodes on Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast by searching After the Timeout. We appreciate you listening. Tune in next time for more basketball content on the court, off the court, and anything in between.